Abundance of love Abundance of grace Nailed to that cross You took my place Oh God You take my ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient Endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Let's Grow the Right Way. Pray with me. God, thank you for life. God, thank you for your word. God, I ask you now today, Lord, to anoint me to say the things that would honor you. God, teach us what you'd have us to know. Lord, I pray for every person listening to this message, God, that your voice would come through in a clear way. God, we need you today, and I ask you, God, to teach us what you want, mold us, shape us, and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grow the right way. I tell my kids all the time there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. I I don't know what you're good at, but if you're good at it, you can easily see where people do stuff the wrong way. Yeah? Things that you're really good at, you, you pick up and like, hmm, that's not exactly the right way to do that. I want you to know whether it's brushing your teeth or tying your shoes, there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. Some people take stuff for granted, but listen, listen you, uh, some of y'all are, are, are stink-eyeing me about brushing your teeth. Somebody show us, what's the wrong way to brush your teeth? There you go, Connie. This is not brushing your teeth. This is sawing your gum line into recession. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. But I want to grow in Christ. I was talking to the deacons and elders this morning. We gather in my office before we come out. We pray together. And I told them, I want to see for me and for each one of them and for as many people who are willing, a time over these next few weeks and months where we truly grow spiritually the right way. I believe it's in the heart of every healthy, living thing to live, to flourish, to blossom, to bloom, and to grow 
But there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I want to talk to you this morning about growing in Christ the right way. Now, get this right up front. Not the right way according to me. Not what I think is right. And not the right way according to you. Not what you think is right. The devil has been very clever uh, in, in, in the way he has tricked and trapped and manipulated people. And one of the things that he's done to this generation is use catchphrases to twist people's minds. Well, I'm so proud of so-and-so because they're living their truth. What does that mean? Because they feel good about some aberrant lifestyle. They're celebrating it. It's still aberrant if it ever was. But there is no your truth or my truth. There is truth from God's word. And I want us to see the right way according to God. In first three of our texts, 2 Peter chapter 1, hear the word. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. There is so much in that verse. I mean, you can look at it on the screen. It just, it's a long verse. It's saying a lot. It's got a lot of punctuation. And I've taught you over the years to always pay attention to the punctuation. When you read, break the Bible down into bite-sized pieces so you can digest it and understand it. But what I want you to see this morning, and if you're taking notes, write this down. First and foremost, we have everything we need. We have everything we need. Now, it doesn't always feel like that. Can somebody be that honest? And I, and I, and I thank God when I said that we have everything we need. Some people agreed with that. But how many of y'all know when it gets down to brass tacks, we, we've all got a list of stuff we think we need that we don't have yet. Anybody? Uh, now, I, I don't preach a lot of cliches, and I don't listen to other messages and preach off them. I get what I, I get from God and his word, uh, but, but sometimes things stick in my head. And one of the things that I do believe that I've heard often is what God has for you is for you. And it can't be stopped, and nobody can mess up the plan of God. No, nobody can take away God's destiny for your life. He, here's, here's a deeper theological truth. You can't even mess it up. Oh, study that out. God's in charge even of our, uh, of, of our shortcomings. God, God, God is not unsettled when we mess up. God already knows what he's doing from beginning to end. But we have everything we need. Now, not everything that we want, obviously. Not everything that we think we need. Maybe not even everything to keep living in the house we're living in. Or driving what we're driving. That's why you ought to pay cash for stuff. They can't come take it. But when you can't fix it, it lays on the side of the road. So, I mean, there, there are times when we think, well, I don't have everything I need because my rent's due and I don't have my rent money. Now, listen, when God says something in his book, it's true, amen? And God said that he has given us everything we need, listen, for living a godly life. Not everything we need so we'll never be bored. Not everything we need so we never uh, have, have uh, desires that we, we have to wait on. Not everything we want right now, but everything we need for living a godly life. I believe one of the reasons why 
most people aren't excited, more excited than they are about their relationship with God is because they're mad about what they don't have. They're upset because they think they should have this, that, and the other. They think that somebody else got more than they got, and, and it, it shouldn't have been that way. Listen, God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's given each one of us everything we need, hear me, to live a godly life. Now, here, here's, the, here's the problem. That's not a priority to everybody. Everybody doesn't see that as valuable. Now, if we were going outside to play uh, softball, then everybody would, that was going to be in the field would need a glove. Whoever was going to stand at the plate would need a bat. You, if you went out there with nothing and you couldn't borrow from somebody, you'd have a hard time playing. We need to value having what God has given us. We're so busy being upset about what we don't have. Most of us don't do what I've said to do for decades. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Has anything good ever happened in your life at all? Well, the Bible says that every good thing comes from God, and we need to learn how to be more grateful. But I want you to get this principle, this truth in your mind. We have everything we need when it comes to living a godly life. And I want you to notice when we get it. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need after we've been saved for a long time, sat in church, served in the nursery, and passed out soup to poor people, and worked in the food. No, it's good. God gave us everything we need for living a godly life. We received it all by coming to know him. How did we get all this stuff? At salvation. I want you to understand, if all you've done is be, if you haven't grown any since you got saved, if you, if you haven't started serving God, if you haven't embraced uh, discipleship, you, if you're truly saved, have everything you need to live a godly life at the moment of salvation. Why? Because God put his nature inside you. God put his spirit inside every Christian at salvation. The Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit that you're none of his. Jesus said that when I go away, God is going to send another who will comfort you, and he'll be with you like I've been with you, but he'll also be in you forever. And we get all of this at the moment we say we received all of this, how? By coming to know him. So first and foremost, do you really know him? I'm not asking if you know things about him. I mean, do you really know him in a close, personal way? Way And that ought to be your life mission, to know this one who knows you, to love this one who loves you, to embrace this one who has embraced you, and to grow the way he wants us to grow. In verse 4, it says, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human Desires. Second thing I want you to see this morning, we have promises. Say promises. Too many times we, we, we're looking at all the different things that life throws at us without celebrating everything God has either done for us already or promised to do for us in the future. I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, 
that the Hebrew people didn't wander in the wilderness because they weren't learning new things about God. They wandered in the wilderness because they had forgot the things God already told them. And I believe the average Christian needs to spend more time remembering. Remembering what life was like before God. Remembering how good God was when he saved you. And looking at all the promises that God has given to his believers. Listen, he said if you call on his name and you mean it, he'd save you. Here, here, here's a little side note. That's enough. If you get heaven, if you get into heaven, that's enough. If, if you make heaven, then every, everything else that you ever went through <clears throat> will be meaningless at, at that point. But not only that, he, he promised to always be with us. I want you to start understanding as a Christian you're never alone. Does that mean sometimes you won't feel lonely? No, sometimes you will because sometimes you're not focused on the presence of God. Sometimes you're not focused on the fact that God is with you. That ought to really just set your hair on fire. That ought to make you so excited. God is with me. I don't know when the last time you loved something with what the Bible calls a first love, a pure love, an innocent love, a young love, a puppy love, uh, over your head, head over heels love. But God is always with that ought to just make you scream and shout and be like this is the most incredible thing he's ri- he's with me in the car he's with me in the shower he's with me in the pulpit he's 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 with me in the house god says that he will always be with us and never leave us not only that he promised us a place in heaven remember what he said in the gospels i'm go i'm i'm going away but i'm going to prepare a place for you that where i am there you may be also god has a place for his children in heaven what possibly could be better news than that everybody in this room will be moving into an upgrade if you make heaven it doesn't matter if you're homeless living under a bridge heaven's going to be better than that soft spot you found under the bridge doesn't matter if you're living in a single wide double wide triple wide apartment townhouse studio squatting on somebody's couch, living in a big house with a two-car garage, a bigger house with a three-car garage or a mansion on the river. Heaven's an upgrade for everybody, and we're going to get to live there with God forever. We've got promises. Stop hanging your head and acting like because you don't have everything you want that God hasn't given you everything you need. Stop hanging your head thinking, well, if you knew what my life was like, I don't have to because God does. And God is the one that said he gave you everything you need to live a godly life. So so here's a little something for you today. Excuses don't work on the God who told you he gave you everything you need. So believe it or not, God said it, and that ought to settle it for each one of us. In verse 5, the Bible says, in view of all this, in view of all what? Everything that's just been said, make every effort to respond to God's promises, period. In view of all of this, the previous verses, and then listen to this instruction, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Now, God told us that when we gather together in his name, he promised to be here with us. We're the ones who uh, walked in that promise today. We're, we're the ones who showed up. We made an effort to respond to God's promise to be here. Now, some people will leave today feeling like they met with God in the Lord's house. 
Some people will leave today feeling like they worship God. Some people will leave today feeling like they were instructed by God. Other people will leave saying, ah, I didn't really like the music. The preaching was, eh, uh, you know, and all that. Uh, and you, know, you won't, well, I didn't feel the spirit. Uh, listen, that's on you. That's on you. He promised to feed the hungry. He, he promises if you would hunger and thirst for his righteousness that he would fill you. You ought to be able to worship God. If you have a relationship with God, you ought to be able to worship God if, if we just stand up here and bang trash can lids together. You ought to be able to hear something from God just from the reading of his scripture. But we need to start focusing on the things that God has done for us and make every effort to respond to his promises. And then it goes into this thing that says supplement. Say supplement. A lot of versions say add. And any time that anybody with sound theology sees add to your faith or supplement your faith with anything, that can be a warning sign. Because faith plus anything when it comes to salvation nullifies salvation. If you say, oh, I believe in Jesus and I'm a good person, you don't understand salvation. You say, if I believe in Jesus and I teach Sunday school and that's why I think I'm going to heaven. This is not talking about adding anything to faith for salvation. This is talking about adding things to faith so that we can live a godly life and, hear me, grow the right way because all of us need to grow doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of christian growth the bible says he wants to take us from one level to the next level so that we can know him better and be more useful in his kingdom and we so supplement your faith not for salvation you can't do anything other than believe christianity is a by faith religion The Bible says by keeping of the law, no one will be justified before God. It's our faith that has saved us if you put faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is talking about growth. He said supplement your faith with a generous provision of, and then goes on this list, moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. They're leaving out the word. They're assuming that you understand. Supplement your faith with moral excellence. And supplement your moral excellence with knowledge. And supplement your knowledge with self-control. And supplement self-control with patient endurance. And supplement patient endurance with godliness. And, and supplement godliness with brotherly affection, with love for everyone. Verse 8 says, the more you grow like this, like what? Like he just said. The more you grow, well, I don't want to grow like that. Well, then you're not growing like he said. Then, then you, you've, you've missed the, the very beginning of the message. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. And God tells us how we can grow and what we have to do. The doing it or not doing it is up to us. And here's the reality. It's easy to blame other people, to play victim. That, that, that game's as old as Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve messed up, didn't do what God told them to do. Adam said, the woman that you gave me is her fault and your fault. I ain't in it. My name's Bennett, and I ain't in it. But he, he was to blame. 
Because he made a choice that was contrary to what God told him to do. The woman blamed the, the serpent, and it's been that way ever since. And I promise you, there are people in this room right now not growing the right way, not being who God would have them to be, and they're blaming somebody else because of it. Let, let me free you today. It's nobody's fault but your own. So many times our biggest enemy is the one looking at us in the mirror. We get in our own way. If you didn't make bad choices, well, what about all the things that are done to me? Well, how did you respond to it? Because a lot of people can put on an act. We know people like that. And, and, and in some regard, people, e- even saved people, kind of up their game a little bit on Sunday morning, uh, hopefully. Uh, come in and, you know, ha- have, have the way that we treat each other, and that should be all the time. But Christianity is not fully seen always in how you act as much as it is in how you react. It's about how you react. Now, if, if, I, if I walked out there right now and, 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 and just poured this bottle of water all over your head, uh, with, with some of y'all, we might be full-on fighting. Some of y'all just ain't about that, you know, you're like, hey, don't, no, 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 no. I respect you as a preacher. You stay up there. Don't come over here. Play me like that. But other people, wouldn't, we wouldn't be fighting. Well, why? Because some people react differently than others. And, well, he deserved it because he's, well, you could, you could say that, but the reality is the fight isn't started by the person you think it's started by. Because most people justifying that it's not their fault say the other person started it. But a fight doesn't fight. A fight doesn't start with the first offense. The fight starts with the retaliation. If you've ever watched sports, you know this well. The referee seldom throws the flag on the first violation. If they did that, they'd be throwing flags all day long. There's holding on every play. Every quarter, every, every football coach will tell you that. There's, there's, listen, if you watch basketball, this right here is illegal. This is palming the ball. This is carrying the ball. But every basketball player comes down court like this. Every basketball player takes a third step, illegal. Every basketball player pushes, well, every LeBron James shoulder or forearms people out of the way so he can dunk on top of every. All these are fouls. They don't call fouls all the time because they, they, the game would last 12 hours. But what they do call fouls on almost without fail is the retaliation. If, if, if big man number one shoulders big man number two when he's trying to run back down the court hard, they're just going to let that go. They're not going to say a lot about it because, hey, it could have been an accident, maybe didn't see him. But when big man number two pushes him in the back and knocks him down on his face, that, that, that's, he's getting teed up and there's all types of problems. What am I saying? Think about your reaction to the difficult times in life. How do you respond when you're going through stuff? That's when your true spirituality shows forth. If you're going through stuff and you are not responding properly, then you need to really study this out. And here's the reality. No matter how long I preach, there's no way I can tell you everything about what God is saying in any verse of Scripture. I want to whet your appetite, and I want you to study these things. And if you love the Lord and you want to grow the right way, you can find it inside this passage of Scripture. Verse 8 says, the more you grow like this, 
the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know this for sure. Every good child wants to be their parents' go-to person. Every good employee wants to be the boss man's right hand. Every good Christian wants to be useful to God in his kingdom. You can be productive and you can be useful. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be. So if, you're being, if you can be productive and useful, then you can be unproductive and not useful. Now, I don't think we have to bring in somebody who's an expert in hieroglyphics or can speak Old Testament Hebrew to understand that most people are not being used by God at a high level. Most people are not being productive in their Christianity as much as we should. And even if you are striving for the masteries, I want you to know there's always more that we can do. There's always more. So the third thing I want you to understand this morning is respond to God's promises by adding seven things to your faith. I want you to respond to God's promises by adding how many? Seven things to your faith. Now, I'm not big on Bible numbers. I know people that have based too much of their theology on this doctrine called numerology. I've had people come up to me after messages and say, Oh, Pastor, when you were reading verse 8 today in the text, oh, I, I, I just felt new life. You know, 8 is the number of new beginnings. And as soon as you said 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, my whole mind was full of every new beginning. And I'm like, okay, don't get nutty on me. Okay? The number 8 does represent, in certain instances in the Bible, new beginnings. I've had people say in, in verse uh, when I read verse 10, they're like, you know, because 10 is 8 plus 2. And 8 is a new beginning, and 2 is the number of union between more than, more than 1. It's, it's about you. So we stop being crazy, okay? If people would stop looking for the deeper meaning, the hidden meaning, and just live the obvious meaning, we'd be doing more for the kingdom of God. And these, these seven things, I want you to look at these things because the Bible says, that the more you grow like this, what? By supplementing all these add-ons, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of Christ. So here they are. We're going to go through them one by one. Generous provision of moral excellence. Add to your faith a generous provision of moral excellence. So you have to have faith to begin with. You're not saved without faith. You, you, you've got to believe that, that God is and that he sent his son to die for us to be the payment for our sin. Because the Bible says the payment for sin is death. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. You have to have faith in that. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. So salvation starts with faith, but growth requires we add some things. Say add. We got to add to our faith. If we want to grow and be useful to God, if we want to be the good child to our Heavenly Father, we've got to add a generous provision of moral excellence. Uh, let me just tell you how they said it in the old church. God don't like ugly. There is so much ugly in the church today. 
I'm not totally talking about the way you look, but there's some of that too. It makes me think about when, when, when one lady asked the preacher, uh, do, do you believe it's a sin for women to wear makeup? I didn't say this. The other preacher said this. He thinks it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. He said even the old barn looked better with a fresh coat of paint. Uh, I'm not talking about physical. Uh, I, I'm, I'm talking physical ugly. I'm talking about just morality shot out. Shot out. I mean, I, the number one thing driving church attendance in America right now is music. And so, listen, I, I know how we could get every chair in this building full. I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If we hired some mid-30s, skinny uh, dude that wore skinny jeans and had bleached, frosted tips on his hair and wore a puka shell necklace and said, dude, every three seconds, not like Jimmy, but like other people, uh, man, I, I'm telling you, I got, I got a friend. Oh, he, <laughs> whoo, if we hired him, this guy, I used to think he was faking it because, you know, sometimes you meet people and they're like, ah, nobody's, nobody's that up. But every time I've seen him, he's the same way. Every time I, Pastor Scott, oh, my goodness. I was just, ask my wife, I was just talking about everywhere I go, people are telling me about abundant life. Bruh, try some decaf. But he's, 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 he's got that whole thing going on, and people are responding to it. Look, if you play music that sounds like the world, and you throw people on your stage that dress like the world, to draw people from the world, to come and live worldly lives in the house of God, you're going to end up with no moral excellence. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's not invited. Everybody is invited. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Get, 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 get some change. Christianity is about changing us from who we are to who God created us to be. And if you really want to be who God wants you to be, stop living shady. You need to add some morality to your lifestyle. If you feel okay about doing wrong, then there's something wrong with your spirituality. And see, that's what makes it hard to know who's really faking it. Because some people do wrong and act like it doesn't bother them. But they're tormented by it at night and we don't know. Other people do wrong and they're quick to repent and that makes it obvious. But that's why the Bible says some people's sins go before and some people's go after. Some people's stuff is just out there for all the world to see. But no matter where you are on the scale of moral excellence, we need greater levels of morality in the Lord's church. The things that are happening in the world today are, are vile and disgusting, and grandmama's generation wouldn't have went for it. But even worse than that, the things that are happening in churches today. Mm. God deserves better. So we got to add some more, not just some, but a generous provision of moral excellence. And then to that, we have to add knowledge. Say knowledge. 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 Now, we're a Bible-teaching church. And I hope that you're learning more about the Bible uh, than you used to. And I hope you're studying the Bible for yourself because most people don't know very much about God. Most, most people know less about God than I know about cooking. And I make cereal and toast, and that's it. 
basically. Um, how much do you really know about God? How, how, how well could you explain God? If, if someone called you and said they're, they're in a bind, tell, tell, tell me what you know. You go to church. What, tell me what you know about God. What, what could you tell them? Personal experience is good, but nothing's more powerful than God's word. And you need to know God's word. We've got one book to study. I, I used to watch my mom. My mom was a nurse her, her, most of her adult life, and she always had to do that continuing education stuff. Y'all, y'all, all you medical people, y'all have continuing education stuff. I found out even plumbers uh, have continuing education. They find new ways to do stuff, and they teach things differently. How many of y'all know they change CPR every few years? I mean, they're not teaching CPR the way you learned it anymore, Mom. It's, it's completely uh, a whole different. I don't know if it's 15 and 2, 5 and 1, 3 and a kick in the face. Uh, what, what is it now, Keon? Huh? 15 and 2. Uh, yeah, let me go. Because I don't want nobody cracking my sternum 15 times, and I sure don't want your mouth on me, so praise the Lord. But new ways to, to do things, new, new continuing education. And I always thought, man, I'm so glad God called me into full-time pastoral ministry because I don't have to get a new way of doing anything. I don't have to get a new manual. I don't have to learn a new policy and procedure. I don't have to do any new worksheets. All I've got is one book, and i got my whole lifetime to learn more about this God from this book. Most people are so theologically shallow they couldn't fill up a thimble with what they know about God. But I hope that you will add to your faith, morality, and add to your morality, knowledge, and add to your knowledge, self-control. Now, somebody who, who is great at reading, at least four-letter words, um, tell, tell me what the first part of number three says. Self. Self. Self-control. Well, I'm waiting on God to come through. When are you going to start controlling yourself? Well, I'm believing God. What, when are you going to start controlling yourself? Well, you know, I need the, I need the Lord too. And, and <clears throat> some of it's on us though. What, whatever you're doing that is, that is not pleasing to God, you need to quit waiting on God to hit you over the head with a lightning bolt and you just need to handle it. Handle your business. Straighten up and fly right. Control yourself. It's that reaction again. Now, uh, Elder Jimmy says he's getting better at it. I don't ride with him, so I don't know. Um, But he has been open about his reaction to bad drivers in front of him. He drives a big truck, carries a heavy load, and he, you know, he envisions in his mind running them into off bridges and you know, blowing them up with machine guns, whatever his thoughts are at that time. That's a reaction. His reaction to his perception of bad drivers sends him into, or used to send him in, to a rage. Now, I don't know how some of y'all are. Uh, Maybe road rage is your thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but I can tell you this. People typically stop doing those during our 21 days of consecration 
They start going to bed earlier. They, they stop watching as much TV. They stop playing on their phones as much. They do away with games. They spend more time reading the Bible. They spend more time in prayer. But then when the 21 days over, they go back to living how they used to. That's not self-control. That's just living wide open. The, the root word of disciple is discipline. And if you do not live a disciplined lifestyle, you will not be the disciple that your heart should desire to be. So most, all of salvation is on God. All of God's promises are on God. But the response to those promises are on us. And God said we need to add some self-control. I wonder, how good are you at self-control? It, it took my sister a long time uh, to, to get used to some things about the ministry. She never knew how difficult ministry could be. She never knew uh, until she started sitting in on counseling sessions and listening to how wild and crazy church folk are. Um, and sometimes people would bash me. Well, she don't like people bashing her little brother. And then they would set an appointment to come see me. I like that. Or want to discuss with me how wrong I am about the Bible and, and why I need to see it their way. I am open to all those discussions. And I have changed many things about what I believe about the Bible. If you, if you know something that I don't know, share it with me. If you're right, I'd be glad to say you're right. And I was wrong. But listen, if you come into my office to bash me about theology, you better have some theology in your pocket. Because I got some in mine. And... Sometimes I, I would just be uh, all worked up, and I'd be like, oh, I'm glad Dina be sitting there. They're, they're going to be here any minute. Are you ready? I'm like, oh, born ready. I can't wait. These people bringing a paperclip to a bazooka fight. I'm going to saw their head off with a shotgun. of scr- and, and she'd be like, oh, Jesus, God, I'm sorry. Please don't let him. And then I'd get in there and cry with them, love on them, hug their neck, pray with them, and everything would be good. And I don't even know if you remember this time, but she told me one time, I don't know why I let your your pre-counseling rant get me all crazy in my head because you, 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 you never, you never uh, do any of those things that you say. You always end up showing them love. And, and God. You, Do you remember saying all those things? Uh, she, she still has to kind of wince every now and then, though. Is, is he going to turn the corner? But self-control is something that every Christian needs more of. And we can blame it on God, but the reality is he didn't say God control. He said self-control. And I want you just to be honest right now. In your mind, don't say it out loud. But think about, do you live a life of self-control or are you easily shook? Are you easily rattled or are you, are you quick to, uh, are, are you thin-skinned? Do you have a short fuse? All those sayings mean you don't have self-control. And God said, if you want to be useful... And you want to be productive. You got to grow the right way. And you got to add self control. The next thing he said to add to self control was patient endurance. Oh, these multiple word points. Patient en- endurance is hard enough. You understand? Endurance is to keep going in spite of difficulty. Endurance is to keep going when it's hard. Endurance is not giving up. All that's hard, hard, hard all by itself. But then I got to be patient while I'm enduring? Oh, Jake just went back. Jake was here for two weeks. He went back uh, to the Marine Corps base 
on Friday, and we, we talked a lot while he was home about running. Because Jake and I share a lot of common interests. We've also got a few common hatreds together, and running is one of them. He does not like to run, and neither do I. When I was in the Army, we ran three miles every day, five miles on Friday, and I hated it from step one. I've never liked running. All the people told me, keep doing it. You'll, you'll catch your stride. Uh, out of breath from the first breath. Doesn't matter how far we go, how short we go. And Jake hates running too, but he has to endure it. But neither one of us ever endured it patiently. When we got out there, uh, now you're familiar, Sergeant Major, you know about PLDC. When, when I got to PLDC, they put a woman in our class, and the platoon sergeant was mad about it. And he was, you know, chauvinistic and didn't believe women should be in the military and all this crazy stuff. And because she was there, she told us in front of her that he was a track star and he was going to make us all track stars. Now, this is, this is 30 days at Fort Polk, Louisiana, treating newly commissioned NCOs that are taking leadership responsibility, treating them like it's basic training all over again. So it's like boot camp for new NCOs. And he said, it's going to be the hardest 30 days of your life, and we're not just going to run, we're going to run fast. Everywhere we go, we're going to run seven-minute miles. And I thought, oh, Jesus. And he called this woman Sally. I don't even know if that was her name. I doubt it. Uh, And, you know, Basically, we don't use first names in the military when we're talking about people. But uh, he'd say, let's see if Sally can keep up. And everywhere we, and it was misery for me. I'm more of an eight-minute guy. A seven minutes on a three-mile run, that's, that's not my game. But I had to endure it. And, and here, here's what the crazy part was. When I get off this story, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you what's funny about it. He never heard from Sally, but she told a couple of us, she ran cross-country in high school, and running was her favorite thing to do, and she was a, a six-minute miler. <laughs> he's killing me because he's a hater of her, and I am having to endure this horrible pace of a run. She's laughing about it. He's hating about it. I'm just trying to breathe without dying, but I endured it but not patiently. Jake has to endure what the Marines tell him, but he's not doing it patiently either. I don't know if you're enduring what God has for you patiently, but the Bible says we've got to add patient endurance to be all that God wants us to be. Now, the next thing it says to add is godliness. Add godliness. Now, godliness, loosely defined, is living in a way that God would live. Are you a godly person? Would you consider yourself godly? When, when you talk to people, do, do they think of you as a godly person? I'm not going to give you all, all of the information I could. Look it up. Dig into it. See how you can become more like God. Now, number six is when it gets even more difficult. They're going to put it up there. Brotherly affection. That means I got to like Nancy. That means i got to be nice to people like Ken. Well, it's easy to like Nancy. 
Um, in, in almost 20 years of being at this church, I've never had an argument, with, a, a fight. With, have we ever had a knockdown fight? I've, I've, I've never had a cross word spoken. And neither one of us ever raised a voice at each other, slammed. None of that. that that's easy for me. She don't cause me no problem. Some of y'all are like, mm. uh, <laughs> Then I got to remember, I got to self-control too, yeah? I, I, I got to be morally excellent. I, I, I've, I've got to be patient. I've got to be godly. But brotherly affection can be very difficult. Why? Because people are whack. Ain't they? People are crazy. People will test you. People will try you. People push your little buttons. I've had to ask people, please, please, please don't poke the bear when he's mad. Give me a minute at least. Some people make it hard. Listen, loving God's easy because God will never do you wrong. Loving God is easy because he's beautiful. He's great, he's wonderful, he's marvelous, he's, he's, he's better than anything you can compare him to. But loving people sometimes takes some work. Uh, if, if you don't know that, it tells me something. You ain't never been in charge of a bunch of people. Uh, and it's easier not to be. Just mind your business. But the reality is God wants you to love your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, see, it's easy to love somebody that's perfect. It's easy to love somebody that never does anything to bother you. But if you start trying to do number six, you're going to realize, mm, there's a whole lot of that pastor's always talking about in spite of. There's a lot of that in spite of in there. If you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to have to love them in spite of some stuff. They're going to say some things wrong. They're going to do some things wrong. They're going to treat you uh, in, in an improper way. Something's going to happen that is going to fight. And listen, anytime you try to do any one of these seven things, the devil is going to fight against it because you're, you're becoming more productive. You're becoming more useful. You're growing in the right way. And some people might say, well, I don't want the resistance. You ought to want it because that's how you grow. That's how you become all that God wants you to be. So if moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, and brotherly affection wasn't enough, I told you seven things. The seventh thing is love for everyone. Now, if it was as easy as a three-year-old's prayer, we could all do that without a lot of work. God bless mommy and daddy and all the people. We love everyone. Amen. Will Rogers said he never met a man he didn't like. I could introduce him to ten of them right now off the top of my head. Uh, he wouldn't like. Um, love for everyone? It's hard enough to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, but now he wants to go cherry on top with love for everyone? What about Republicans? What about Democrats? What about independents? What about people who don't vote because they know it's all rigged? Everyone. Oh, man, if we had the time and the honesty, I'd just go around the room and I'd ask you, how are you doing at loving people? Because you ought to get at least to the point where you know it should be easier to love your brothers. I've had people tell me in anger, people who, who are Christian people or, or claim Christ, tell me, well, I, I just enjoy being around unsaved people more than church folk because church folk ain't about nothing. I'm like, mm, that's a bad, that's a, that's, mm, you're going in the wrong direction there. You ought to have a natural affection for your own family in the natural and in the spirit realm. You ought to have, a, it ought to be 
an ease and a mandate and a desire for you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ because the Bible says we're all one. We're all part of the same body. Jesus is the head, and we're all connected. So we've got to be in this thing together. But then he throws that number seven in there. Love everyone. Well, what about Stanky Joe? Even Stanky Joe. What about the same guy that begs money from you every time you're just trying to buy gas? Yeah, even that guy. Love everyone. What am I trying to get you to see? I want you to see it's hard. I want you to see these things are not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But everybody's not doing it. If it was easy, everybody would be productive and useful in God's kingdom. But everybody's not being productive and useful in God's kingdom because it's not easy. But I'll give you a hint. God will help you if you ask him. He said, call on me in your distress. Call on me in your day of trouble. The, the, the psalmist said, I called on the Lord. He heard my cry, and he delivered me from my many afflictions. God will help you. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're going to add moral excellence and you're going to add knowledge about God and self-control over your own actions and thoughts and patient endurance even when the world's upside down and godliness even when you want to show yourself uh, and brotherly affection even when Christian brothers and sisters act crazy, stab you in the back, then you got to go into love for everyone. Now, I told you I'm not big on numerology. Almost every commentary I read this week pointed to the, the, the number seven and the importance of there being seven things on this list and just took a big uh, numerology turn on it. And there's no doubt there are seven things on this list. And there's no doubt that certain numbers, repetitive numbers, have stood for certain things in the Bible. I don't know if you know what the number seven stands for, but if you look it up, you'll, you'll see that it typically speaks to completeness or perfection. Complete or perfect, fully developed, mature. And if you can do these seven things, you will be well on your way to being complete in Christ. You'll be well on your way to being productive and growing the way God wants you to. Verse 9, listen to what happens if you don't do these seven things. But those who fail to develop in this way, what way? The right way. What's the right way? God's way. What's God's way? The way he just told us seven things to do, to add to your faith. This is for saved people because lost people haven't developed faith in Christ. They haven't put faith in Christ. This way is the way that God is talking about. Those who fail to develop in this way are, listen, short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins, forgetting that they, listen, if you remember that God saved you, you'll be a lot happier than, than when you forget that. You need to rehearse in your mind constantly. He saved me when he didn't have to. He loved me when I was unlovable. He died for me. He called me. He saved me. He gave me faith. He drew me. You, you, you need to begin to remember. That's, that's one of the things that why people say, Pastor, I just wish I could get back to how excited I was when I first got saved. Well, that was because you were truly in love with God and you were thinking about how cool it is what just happened to you. But here's the problem. Most people have been saved for more than an hour brushed it off, forgot about it, don't think about it. And I want you to realize any time 
that you are not developing in this way anytime you're not advancing growing supplementing your faith with these seven things then you are becoming blind in your spiritual eyes and you are not being thankful for your own salvation well when is so and so going to stop such and such well when are you going to stop such and such one of the most pivotal turns in my life uh, one of the most eye-opening things that I ever saw, uh, Bishop and I were riding to Kansas uh, to get the blueprints for the new building that they were building on the west side of Jacksonville, and we were talking, and we were talking about all these different preachers and all these people that, that were part of our group, and I just was ne- being negative, and I was just, just dogging people, and he's just sitting there listening. We are riding down the road, and he's listening. And I'm, I'm like, well, you know, Pastor so-and-so ain't a real Christian. Really, Scott? Why? Oh, well, he wouldn't blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then three minutes later, I was saying same, similar stuff about the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. And he finally looked at me. He said, well, you've said your piece. Let me ask you something. You think this pastor ain't saved because of, of what he does here. You think that pastor ain't saved because of what they do there. Well, what about all the things that you do that don't honor God? What, what makes you so sure you're saved? Oh. oh, well, I know I'm saved. Maybe they are too. Maybe I'm saved and not fully delivered. Maybe they're saved too and not fully delivered. Maybe I'm saved and in my process. Maybe they're saved and in their process too. Maybe I haven't uh, become perfect and I still got things I deal with. Maybe they have too. And then I started concentrating more on my own salvation, on my own walk with God. I put my eyes off of other people, stopped judging, criticizing other people, started trying to uh, control myself, my actions, be more morally upright, learn more about God, add these things, and then growth began to happen. Because if you don't grow in this way, this sevenfold way, if you don't grow in this sevenfold way, your growth is meaningless to God. The, the fact that you added four more scriptures to your memory list, that, that doesn't circumvent your necessity to do these seven things to grow because God says this is the way to grow, and if you don't grow this way, then you are short-sighted or even blind, and you are not concentrating on the right thing. Verse 10 says, So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Now, people hate work. Work is the new four-letter word in America. People hate work. Work was given to human beings before there was sin in the world. Work is a blessing. Work is a good thing. And, and, and God says to work hard to prove. Well, I don't have to prove nothing to nobody. Well, what's he talking about? He said, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. I'm going to close with this. We have responsibility to live our faith publicly. We have a responsibility to honor the God that we call our Lord and Savior. We have a responsibility to do the things that God has called us to do. If my son was to be just wildly disobedient to me constantly, 
But then I hear him on the phone saying, oh, I love my dad more than anything. Yeah, no, I do everything my dad. I'd be like, hey, I was just listening through the door. Who are you lying to? There's no truth to that. And most Christians are, are not growing in the right way. The, the, but there's some things we need. Well, I don't believe I have to do anything. God did every. Yes, for salvation, God did everything for us. For, to pay for our sins, we can't add anything to what Jesus did on the cross. Everything on the cross, when Jesus says it is finished, he meant it's all done. Everything that needs to be done for people to be saved has been done. But for our own growth, for our own productivity, for our own usefulness, for, for us to walk in the blessings of God, there's some things that we need to do. Now, when it talks about falling away, I don't believe it's talking about falling away from salvation because it says, dear brothers and sisters. It's indicating these are saved people. And let me tell you something. There's a big debate been raging for decades about once saved, always saved. And I have people ask me all over the world, uh, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I said, well, I need to understand your definition first. Are you asking, do I believe that you could pray a prayer in third grade, walk an aisle, shake a preacher's hand, uh, have a bunch of people clap for you, you can get baptized, uh, and then never read your Bible, say your prayers, never, never develop a relationship with God, never go to church again? Uh, but once that, no, there ain't no salvation in that. No, no, no real person believes that's, that's what real salvation looks like. That'd be like C Cedric and Sonia getting married. We marry them right here. Bring out the little archway. Uh, marry them under, un, under the archway. And uh, then he's like, all right, I'll see you in five years. And he's just like, goes, goes, <laughs> Sonia about to hit him. Uh, just goes off rambling and running. That's not a marriage. That's not how that works. There are things after salvation that God expects from us. We can't add anything to salvation. We can't work to get to heaven. Jesus did all that for us on the cross. But if you want to be even a portion of what God wants you to be, you're going to have to work hard. And you need to prove to yourself, and you need to prove to everybody watching that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Now, here's one of the ways you can know. The Bible says all God's promises are to those who endure. Your coach should have told you when you were little. Winners never quit and quitters never win. This falling away, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about falling away from your growth track. See, because people don't fall away from salvation. I know there are people uh, in, in the world, maybe even in this church, that you believe it. Well, read the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews says if they could indicating that they can't. But if they could fall away, it would be impossible to renew them. Oh, while you getting saved every three weeks, people, all you uh, fourth salvation people, listen, you can't get saved more than one time. But if, and so when I say, when people ask me, do I believe once saved, I always say, I tell them this is what I believe. If you ever get saved for real, you'll stay saved forever. The Bible says what God does, he does forever. Now, people who fall out and just disappear on God, I don't believe there's any salvation in that. And I think it is manifest that they, they just weren't really true Christians. But there are people who fall away from their growth track that are real Christians. There are people who fall backwards in their productivity and their usefulness for God. And I don't want to be that person. 
And I don't want you to be that person. And God said, and if you work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen, and you do these things, you will never fall away. Last verse, verse 11 says then, after you do all these things, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That I hope you believe to be your destiny. That God will let you into heaven. Oh, I know that heaven has already been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I know that everybody who's put faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will have heaven as their home for eternity. But I've never been that guy. Maybe you're that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that says, oh, I don't care if I get to heaven with my tails burning, uh, my coattails on fire, uh, smelling like smoke. As long as I, I don't care if I get a shack in the back, uh, as long as I get, listen, there ain't no true love for God that way. There's no true love for God that way at all. If Cedric would have told Sonia, look, I don't care if I ever make you happy as a husband. I don't, uh, you know, as long as you just stay my wife and I, I just displease you all day. She'd have been like, I ain't marrying you. You ain't even going to try. You're just telling me up front. No. No, I don't want to be the just got in by the skin of my teeth guy. I want a grand entrance. I want a grand entrance because I'm bringing something with me that I can give to the Lord. The Bible says there are crowns that believers can gain in this life uh, that we will be, that we will get in heaven. But, but the local thinking of, oh, sister so-and-so, her head's going to be heavy. She's going to have all those crowns in heaven. No, we don't get to keep them. We get to do something better with them. We get to present them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, because you did all that you did for me. I did some things for you, too. Here's my thank you. I want to have something in my hand when I get. I want a grand entrance when I get to heaven. Not because I'm there, but because I allowed God to do something in my life that encouraged me to become productive and useful to where I had a crown or two to give to the Lord. I don't know what you're planning on for your entrance to heaven, but I hope that you're going to go there. And I know this for sure. If you're truly saved, You don't want to meet the Lord empty-handed. You don't want to meet the Lord with nothing to show for the love that he gave to you. So let me ask you, how are you doing productivity-wise? See, here's the reality. You can be in church every time the door is open. You can serve in every ministry that you've always served in. And all we can see is if you're here or if you're not here. But just being here doesn't mean that you're really here. Just showing up to do your ministry doesn't mean that your heart is in it. It's not productive unless your heart is in it. It's not productive. So so what should you do? Just quit? No, get your heart right. Get your heart right. Doesn't matter what, what you've done, where you've been, what you've gone through. Remember what the psalmist said, and this is what we need. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. God gave us salvation that used to make us happy. Now we're like, yeah, but so much else is happening. Well, time to take your supplements. Time to take your supplements. Nutritionists say that the American nutritional value is so low in the food that we eat that if you're not taking supplements uh, 
nutritional supplements that you were going to have vitamin and mineral deficiencies. I don't know about all that. I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, but I do know this. There are supplements spiritually that if you don't take, you will be deficient. Supplement your faith with moral excellence. Supplement your moral excellence with knowledge. Supplement that with self-control and patient endurance and godliness and brotherly affection. And you might be thinking, Pastor Scott, if I start trying to do all that, it's going to take me forever. Yeah, me too. Well, not forever. Our lifetime. Once we get to heaven, we're not going to hear about work to prove anything. Once we get to heaven, it's just going to be a hallelujah, shouting good time. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord, and it's all going to be worth it. And I want you to start believing it's going to be worth it. I want you to start remembering. Stop being blind. Stop being short-sighted. Stop forgetting how good it was that God saved you. And get more productive. Become more useful by supplementing your faith with these seven things. Take this passage of Scripture. Study it this week. Look for areas where, you, listen, I know people, there are people in this room that, that have gotten a, a vitamin B shot. What you taking a vitamin B shot for? Well, you know, I'm just low on vitamin B. Okay, well, good. Hope that works out for you. Um, I don't know what your vitamin B level is. But I know everybody in this room needs these seven supplements. And we need to add it to what we got going on already. You may be thinking, Pastor Scott, I'm so tired already. I can't even imagine adding one more thing on my plate. It's okay to take some stuff off your plate, but not this stuff. We say this is the big stuff. Maybe you have to watch less TV. Maybe you have to have less social media. Maybe you, I don't know, but I do know this. God said that if you do these things, you will be productive and you will be useful in your Father's kingdom. That's what I want. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for instructing us, God. I pray that you would let us supplement our faith with these seven things. Father, I pray that you would create in us a love for you that is both urgent and vibrant, God. I pray that you would just fill us with your spirit and help us to love you more than we love anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.